What is a dibuk? Okay, I'll answer the question, uh, but I'm not going to answer the question in a narrow way. I'm going to answer the question in a, I think, but in a comprehensive way, which I think will be beneficial to many more people. But I, it'll take it out of the realm of uh, mythology and superstition and and uh, the occult, I suppose. I'm going to give you a brief summation of what happens to a person when the neshama, when a person passes away. The neshama leaves the goof. When there's a rule in Torah that says everything that exists has life, everything that exists has life, everything that exists has life. Even a stone has life. So when the neshama, when a person passes away, if the life departs completely, then the body should decompose instantaneously; it should come apart completely. The reason it doesn't, the reason it happens slowly and gradually, is because the life of the body leaves in stages. Three days, seven days, a month, and so on. Um, and as the neshama leaves the body, the body goes through additional stages of decomposition until, as the Pesach says, Allah it become dust again. Parenthetically, incidentally, there's a note from the Rebbe that I saw which explains what is wrong with cremation. Right? Today, cremation is very popular. God forbid someone passes away, you burn the body. It's cheaper, it's more efficient, and so on. Cremation is hepechatera. You're not allowed to cremate a body, you have to bury a person, according to the laws of the Shulchan Aruch. So somebody once asked the Rebbe, why is cremation not allowed? And the Rebbe said very plainly, because it hurts. A person's died. But there, as long as there's a body, there's life. You're not perceiving that life, but it's there. And when you burn them up, you're hastening, you're accelerating the, the process of returning to the dust, and it's like killing a living person. It's pasha painful. That's what the Rebbe wrote. So the body decomposes step by step, gradually, incrementally. It doesn't take very long. Bodies disappear quite quickly. Of course, the guf kadosh of a tzaddik is a whole nother parsha. And it's actually very good for the body to decompose. In other words, you want to make a levi as quickly as possible, put a person in the ground as quickly as possible, and you do not want to preserve the body. Preserving the body is worse than destroying the body. Because if you preserve the body, the neshama cannot leave. You put the body on the ground, under the ground, and as quickly as possible the body decomposes and the neshama departs. So long as there's a goof there, the neshama is connected to the body. So there's a concept in Kabbalah, and Sifri Musa, called Chibat Chibut means that the neshama is visited while in the grave by forces that, that uh, make the neshama uncomfortable. What you must understand is that the moment the person passes away, they have no conscious control over themselves. When you're, away, when you're alive, you make choices. You choose where to go, you choose what to say, you choose what to think, you choose how to direct your life. When a person passes away, it's like you're in a dream-like state. You know, when you're in a dream, the whole world around you moves. And as the Helmer story goes, you're stuck in one place and you can't move. You're not, you're immobile, you can't move. So when you're having a dream and the dream gets a little bit uncomfortable or very uncomfortable, so you run away and the only way to run away is to wake up. 
And every person, after he wakes up, wishes he can go back to sleep to see the end of the story. But when a person has passed away, their reality is that. They have no control. Every, they're controlled by their environment. And when you're stuck in the goof, you're trapped until the body will let the neshama leave. So there are nitguter, there are forces that come and uh, give the neshama yesurim. And the purpose for these yesurim is a zichoch. It refines the body for, it's discussed in Tanya Periches, for what things Chibot HaKever cleanses. It's not Gehenim, but it's still yesurim. What happens to the neshama when the body decomposes? So it leaves the body, but it's still in the space of the universe, the physical space. And then you have a process which is called Kafa Kela. It's a similar idea. Kafa Kela is a period where you don't have any conscious control. So you're literally bouncing around like a billiard ball. You know, if you could visualize a ball that just hits a surface and then goes in another direction, it's another surface, and you're just completely subservient, you're completely subject to whatever it is that you bounce into. That's how Kafa Kela is described. It's a Pesach in Tanakh. Kafa Kela means a person who finds himself in a situation that they have no control over themselves and they're being battered around from one to the other, from one place to another place and so on. Kafa Kela is also a form of Yesudim that the Neshama experiences. It also serves the purpose of Zichuch. And again, in Tanya Perichest, Al Rebbe discusses that as well. And the one thing that's constant about Chibet Kevin and Kafa Kela is not cleansing for Avedis. It's cleansing for Dvarim Betelim. It's cleansing for Taivis. It's not cleansing for Avedis. To cleanse Avedis, you have Gehenim. Chibut HaKever and Kafakela cleanse the Neshama from things which are less than Avedis. And of course, what's supposed to happen is then you have to go to the heavenly court, the Bezden Shalmaila. And in the expression of the Gemara, Mutav de Ladaina, Veleis Dama de Asa, it's worthwhile to be judged wherever the judgment is, you have to go to Elam And when the person is judged, they go to Gehenim. And the maximum time when a Shama could be in Ganadin is 12 months. And of course, the minute you saw Tayyid, he says, no one says Kaddish for 12 months. You say Kaddish only for 11 months. Because nobody wants to suspect that his father is a Rosh. And then when the Shama finishes with Ganadin, it goes to Ganadin. When the Shama comes to Ganadin, it has Aliyahs three times a day. And every year in a yard, it has a larger Aliyah. Each time the Neshama has an aliyah, has to go through a river of fire, a Nahadi Nur, and then there's a beam of light and a mud which pulls it up into Ganeid. And of course, all of these stages have challenge, hardship, pain. So the, the point that needs to be made is that when a person is going through Yesudim, when a person is suffering, there's two angles on it. If you are a person who watches your health, you do excessive exercise, you run a lot, or you lift weights, or you do exercise in other ways. You push your body to the point of exhaustion. You're not going to call that suffering. To the contrary, it's, it's liberating. Because you're choosing to push your body to its limits to achieve a certain state of health. But if you didn't know why you were doing it, or somebody else made you do it, the person had you lift racks and carry them up a hill. And their intention is to make you healthy. But as far as you're concerned, they're your master and you're a slave and they're driving you. You would resent it and you would hate it and you would suffer. So how an Ashama experiences these Yesudim determines what it is. And Gehenim specifically means that you find yourself in a situation where you're going through Yesudim and you don't know why. That's what makes it hell. What makes it Gehenim is not just that it's painful, that it seems purposeless. So you have all of these steps, then you have Kafakela, then you have a judgment, then you have Gehenim and so on. Sometimes it happens that they don't let the Neshama out of the space of the physical world. They don't let them into the best Neshama to be judged. 
It's an einish. Not that you're going to go to Gehenim, they're not even going to judge. So then the Neshama experiences one of the worst types of tsar imaginable, which is called Gilgul. Gilgul means the Neshama of al The Neshama is stuck in the space of the universe until someone will come along and elevate the Neshama. And this is where Dibba comes in. These Neshamas that are misgalgal need an Aliyah. But of course they're spiritual, nobody could see them. So the only way they could possibly have an aliyah, that means to be corrected, is that they connect themselves to something physical. And that physical thing is then used for a mitzvah, or for avodah Hashem in some way, by a yid, and it elevates the neshama, and the neshama can, be, can go into the bezdin shamayla, and be judged, and go to Gehenim, and go to Ganeidin, and so on. But sometimes the oinish is so severe that the tzad of Gilgal can go on for even hundreds of years. And sometimes these neshamas are misgalgal in different things, in a plant, in an animal, in a fish. And on rare occasion, it's misgalgal in the body of a person. That's the concept of a dibu. That's the idea that you have a neshama that's experiencing the worst kind of tzad imaginable. And it's explained in Hasidus, what's the worst kind of pain that a neshama can possibly have? That it exists and it's here. Nobody sees it. Nobody hears it. Nobody responds to it. Because as far as everybody else is concerned, it doesn't exist. And it's trying very, very hard to find expression. So when it, it enters into the body of another person, and of course, it's not going to enter into the body of a, a person that's healthy and strong spiritually. It's going to find a weak spot that it can enter in. Like all illnesses, that they attack people when they're weak. So this is a spiritual illness. A person who's already down, there's a concept of Gilgul. It's what Dibuk is. And of course, then you have a concept of... Uh, of being mailed in Neshama, of being metaken at Gilgal, and allowing the Neshama to be redeemed, and to have peace, and so on. And there are stories in the Kesvi Arizal, and the Shana Gilgulim, you have, the Rebbe Vital tells stories of a Gilgal that he was mailed, and so on. I don't think Dibuks are as common as people want to make them seem. Yeah, I think it's quite rare, but there is such a concept in Kabbalah. And I would also argue that it's not just Stamazay Nishamas that are misgalgal. You're talking about very great Nishamas that fell very, very low, that the only ticking for them is this tsar for hundreds and hundreds of years in some cases. And on occasion you have this kind of an end where it attaches itself to a body of a person. That's what a dibuk is. I'm just going to finish by telling you a story with the Alter Rebbe, which is brought from Chsidim, about a dibuk that the Alter Rebbe was misakin. The story basically is that they brought to the Al-Tareba a person who was acting crazy. He had been a normal, reasonable human being. And now there was, he was saying things that he should not have been saying. That were not a part of his world and a part of his lifestyle, which were connected to Nyanam of Avedizara. And they brought this person to the Al-Tareba. When they brought this person to the Al-Tareba, the Al-Tareba suddenly said a tater to be Mulamit's chus on the Yidin who murdered Zechariah HaNavi. At the time of the first base HaMikdash, was a Navi, his name was Zechariah. He was also a king Gadol. And he was murdered on Yim Kippur, on the Mizbeach. And the Gemara says in Mizbeach the Gittin that his blood wouldn't stop boiling. And when the first base HaMikdash was destroyed, Nivuzrad and Rav Atabacham came into the base HaMikdash. And he saw the boiling blood and he started asking questions. And eventually he found out what it was and he says he's going to kill Yidin, Rahman until the blood stops boiling. And he killed so many people, he became disgusted with himself. And he ran away. And the end of the story was that he became a Ger Tzedek. 
And from Dizn Vizradin, who became a Ger Tzedek, came out, get this, Reb Meir, Reb Meir. But anyway, Zechariah Navi was murdered. The people who killed Zechariah were Rishoyim. But besides being Rishoyim, they were pushed sick. On Yim Kippur, in the base of Mikdash, a king Godel. And the Altarebbe was Malam Etzchus. What was his name, He said a Tere, that Zechariah was a Navi, who was mandated to say a nevuah about the Churb Mabayis, of the destruction of the Beis HaMektash. And he didn't want to say it. He didn't want to say it. Why? Because we know from Chazal that when a Novi has a nevuah, if it's Libo Lepum Galya, until the Novi speaks it, Hashem Koyach will change his mind. Once there's Libo Lepum Galya, once it comes out through the mouth of the Novi, it's been brought into the physical space of the physical earth, physical universe, and it's irreferable. It's, it's irreversible. So Zechariah had to say a Navi he didn't want. So the Yidin had Rachmanas on him and they murdered him. Now you understand yourself, this was a Libot's Chutz, this was a spin or a twist, an otherwise sick story. And when the Al-Tarebbe said this Torah, the Dibuk left. Al-Tarebbe explained that this was a Yid who was misgalgled over 2,000 years, 2,500 years. Since the time of the first base, because he was one of the people who murdered Zechariah Hanavi. And by saying this tale, it was Maila the, the Dibuk. This is, this is what it is. This is the idea of a Dibuk and a Gilgal. I just don't think we should worry about these things. You know, I, in class today, the girls asked me about this, which is how this idea came to me. So one of the girls mentioned that there was a school of thought that said that people who are disturbed emotionally and suffer from psychosis or other kind of mental illness are dibuks. In the 19th century, they used to think that. They used to think that all people who were not emotionally like everybody else were possessed and they would torture them. They would do terrible things to them. Now people understand when a person's not well emotionally, that's exactly what they are. Not well emotionally. And not chas that there's something wrong with them spiritually. Mm-hmm.